Welcome to Explorations of the Heart and Soul, guided meditations by Australian Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. Now ask yourself the question, who is thinking the thoughts? Remember, you don't have to have an answer to that. Just stay with the experiencing of the question. Who or what is thinking the thoughts? As I said before, if you're lucky, there may not be any thoughts coming and going, but our experience usually over a period of 30 minutes is that we do experience some thoughts coming and going. Some people experience an avalanche of thoughts. Other people experience thoughts coming with a little bit of space in between. Now for this next exercise, I want you to actually try to stop your thoughts. So if, if there is a thinker that's thinking the thoughts, let's assume that the thinker can stop the thoughts. And for the next few minutes, See if you can actually actively stop your thoughts. Is it possible to stop thinking or to stop thoughts, I should say? 
again, this is the distinction between thoughts and thinking. Is there a difference between thoughts and thinking? Not thinking as in trying to figure things out, but thinking as in just asking the question, who or what is thinking, and just experiencing thoughts. Many of you would have heard of the 17th century philosopher René Descartes. And uh, he was pondering the question of what is it possible to know? For, is it possible to know anything for certain? And he, he began to doubt everything. And in the end, he realized the one thing that he couldn't doubt was the fact that he was doubting which led him to conclude that famous quote, I think, therefore I am. But what was the fatal mistake that Descartes made when he concluded, I think, therefore I am? Take a few minutes to see in your own experience if you can find the I that is doing the thinking. See if you can find the I in Rene Descartes' I think. Therefore, I am. See if you can find the I that is doing the thinking. Or are there just the thoughts? Are there just thoughts appearing and disappearing without a thinker? When it rains outside, does it have a reason to rain? Does the rain come to nurture the ground? Or does it just rain? Do we have any control over it raining? Do we have any control over it thinking? Are having thoughts any different to rain coming down? Maybe it's not I who is thinking. Maybe it is just thinking. 
we can just listen to it raining. We just listen to it thinking. Raindrops falling, thoughts falling, appearing, disappearing. As Joko Beck says, the reality of practice is just to be. However, it does get a little bit more complicated when thoughts turn into stories, how we often take our thoughts as reality. I want you to see if you can see how thoughts often take the form of story or an internal dialogue. Unfortunately, it's often the case that these stories can take on a negative viewpoint, often pointing out our deficits or the deficits of someone else. I'm sure you could all come up with examples. I am dot, dot, dot. I am, you know, fill in the blank, some of the kind of common negative thoughts about self or others that you experience that take the form of a story. I am not good enough, dot, dot, dot. I will never get this right. Notice how when we participate in those kinds of internalized stories, how the eye has sneaked back in again. And what tends to happen is that we start to believe or identify with this eye and these stories. What Joko Beck referred to as the self-centered dream. Joko recommended a practice that she called thought labeling, which many of you are familiar with for this. You don't have to practice thought labeling for a long period of time. Just for five minutes. You can try it during a a period of meditation or you can try it during the day. So if you have the thought, for example, I am not good enough, simply label it silently by saying, having the thought, I am not good enough. Or you may have the thought, what am I having for breakfast this morning? And simply label the thought, having the thought, what am I having for breakfast this morning? That's often a fairly neutral kind of thought. But this practice is more about seeing what our dominant kind of story is that we get caught in 
For example, one of mine used to be worrying about money all the time, funnily enough. And um, I would often label it with the label uh, having the thought worrying about money again. Or I sometimes used to call it Tom, my dad's name. He, my dad used to worry about money a lot. Oh, there's Tom again, worrying about money. So thought labeling is a kind of um, segue in our practice. It's a kind of bridge which enables us to start to distinguish thoughts from what Joko called experiencing. Experiencing is her kind of verb for simply being with what is. As opposed to commentating on what is. Sometimes people use the analogy of the difference between being on the court playing the tennis and being a spectator watching the game. And how often when we get caught in the storyline, we're like a spectator that is commenting and judging the players on the court. So making the distinction between identifying with thoughts and how these thoughts often take the form of a story and just experiencing the reality of this moment is an important core practice in ordinary mind, especially in Joko's teachings. So this time, after you have noticed a thought and given it a label, simply return to the experience of the breath, the sounds, the sensations, just to return to that which you're experiencing. Whatever that may be, which changes from moment to moment. See how when we stay in the domain of experiencing, we're always in the domain of being present to what is present here and now. And when we wander off into the domain of story, we're, you know, usually wandering off into the domain of the past or the future. You can never story the present moment, it's impossible. As soon as you launch into a story, the present moment's already passed. So when we're staying in the domain of experiencing, which we may be able to do for a few seconds, we're simply here and now presence. Experiencing the reality of what is.
So just to summarize so far, number one, there are only there are only thoughts. There is no one thinking the thoughts. There is no way we can control the thoughts. And if we don't pay attention, we can quickly become captive of stories, believing stories that thought creates. If we return to our direct experience, experiencing, we are more connected with the reality of just this moment. And as Joko Beck says, when you do the work of being exactly what is, slowly, unexpectedly, transformation happens. Joy is the peace in what is. So when Joko uses the word joy, she is referring to the joy or peace that is present in each moment when we're being the moment <coughs> as distinct from the ups and downs of our moods. Our practice doesn't guarantee that we're going to be happy, happy all the time. We're always going to experience changes and transitions in our mood states. But what Zazen does is it builds the capacity to be just what is in whatever mood state we find ourselves in. And that grounds us in a, in a peace or a joy which transcends the changing mood states. In other words, when we're experiencing joy or peace, according to Joko, we're no longer hoping or wishing that reality was other than that what it is. Which doesn't mean to say we have to like what's happening, but to let go of the, 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 the struggle or the desire that we weren't experiencing what we're experiencing. So now that we've laid down those foundations, I'm going to finish with the distinguishing between an event or the event of or what happened and the story of what happened. When you really get the distinction, this can be really very helpful in our lives and can alleviate a lot of suffering. So, for example, think of a recent event that you experienced as an upset doesn't have to be a big upset, even a little upset, but some event where you experience some kind of upset. For example, you arrange to meet with your partner or a friend at the local cafe, and they never showed up. So what actually happened, what happened was that you showed up and they didn't. That's the fact. The upset is the story. You add on whatever you want to add on. The upset is the story. Oh, they let me down. Oh, I can never trust that person. They always do this. My time is really precious. And we're upset. We're in upset, being upset. 
A similar example and a very common example is when we drop something in the kitchen and we have a really hard floor made of tiles. Smash. The glass smashes everywhere. Who's experienced that? What happened is the glass dropped and it smashed. The upset is the story. Oh, I'm so clumsy. Oh, you're so clumsy. So the story is what we add to what actually happened. Let's just finish with the rain. How many times in your life have you got upset because it was raining? The fact is it's just raining. The upset is the story. So given your experience this morning, what is real? What happened or the story of what happened? Now, I'm not saying that we can live without stories. Stories are essential for navigating the cultural world we live in as human beings. But I'm just suggesting that you think about this pragmatically, how this distinction can perhaps help to relieve, to relieve us from a lot of unnecessary suffering. I've told you this story before. It's in one of Joko's books, the first one about the rowing boat. It's a great story. Not quite sure what the origins of it are, but it's uh, you're in your rowing boat in the morning and it's really misty. And uh, you see this other boat coming towards you in the mist. And you're, you're yelling out, hey, stop, stop. You're going to hit me, whatever. And the rowing boat comes in, smashes into your boat and you get really angry. And then all of a sudden, you realize there's nobody in the other rowing boat. How many times have you gotten angry at the computer? So these, this distinction can be very helpful on a pragmatic basis as we contemplate this and practice our awareness of this throughout the day, we can start to get an idea of where we're dwelling most of the time. Are we dwelling in story? And most of the time, of course, story creates duality, usually creates an I and a you, or an us and a them. Are we dwelling in story? Or are we dwelling in the reality of just this moment? Are we dwelling in the reality of experiencing? Most of the time, human beings dwell in stories. But if we don't dwell in stories, where do we dwell? So I'll just uh, leave us with a last quote from Joko from her most recent book. Enlightenment is the ending in yourself of that hope for something other than life being as it is. I'll just read that again. Enlightenment is the ending in yourself of that hope for something other than life being as it is.
So drop the story and just come back to experiencing just this. So we've got a few minutes left. We can just sit in silence. There's no requirement for you to share anything of your experiencing, but if you feel moved to do so, please do so. Remember, you'll need to unmute yourself if you're going to share. I just want to thank you, Andrew. That was um, really powerful, really clear. There's a moment, uh, a few moments in that meditation where I caught myself in the story, in the thinking, and just kind of smiled and laughed and thought, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's happening right now. I realized that. That was cool.
uh, not negative, the, the exaggeration is quite profound and that's um, interesting. Can you just say a little bit more about that, please? Was that was that Louise or? Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I, I sort of noticed that the mind tends to grasp on to these emotions of trying to build things up or trying to bring things down and trying to sort of make the story more dramatic. Okay. And just for me to see that it usually happens afterwards when I get out of the story. And I come back to what is, and I say, well, actually, is that really true? And then I sort of feel, no, it's a bit of an exaggeration. It's like a drama. It's like a soap opera I've created. And I think that's the, the eye needing to kind of strengthen itself. It, it turns it into something bigger than it is very often. Just a couple more minutes and then we'll finish with the practice principles. I noticed a uh, kind of uh, brittleness in myself that the words that you were saying, Andrew, felt like they were interfering with my capacity just to sit and notice my thoughts for myself. Maybe there wasn't enough silence for you. That's what it felt like for me. Thank you, David. I thought it was interesting how you labelled some of your thoughts, Tom, after your father. And I've actually noticed that happens sometimes too, that, that it's like old tapes come and replay themselves, ones that we've heard from our early childhood, our conditioning. And these are the kind of stories that um, repeat themselves often over and over. 
is yeah Okay, thank you everybody for being here this morning and um, participating in the process. We'll now finish with the practice principles. Um, as Joko Beck used to often say, there's really only one Dharma talk. And in many ways, the, the practice principles um, and all Dharma talks are kind of like, you know, different uh, versions of the same talk in some ways. And uh, the practice principles are a really nice, another nice summation of our practice. So here we go. Caught in a self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in a self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in a self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way.